All right, today we have, all the way from Germany, Hamplesoft. Uh, we have the whole team pretty much joining us today, well, a good portion of the team anyway. Uh, welcome, Jörg, Manu, and Benser. Hello. Hi. Hey, Chris. Great pleasure to have you guys on the show today. Really keen to talk to you about DQMH, what's it like to be a DQMH trusted advisor, and just hear about your experiences and where you're taking DQMH. Jörg, why don't you start off by just giving us a bit of an introduction into Hamplesoft? Yes, of course. So let me start off by saying thank you for having us here. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Chris, and I'm looking forward to this, uh, well, 45 minutes that we have here. So cutting to the chase, uh, Humble Software Engineering is a small software consulting company, I'd say. We're a team of four at the moment, looking into growing our team. Uh, we're in the talks with few people, but uh, really trying to find the best fit for our small team. Uh, it's, that's imperative for us because um, we're working very closely with our customers. So um, that's what we do, basically. We work with our customers, um, trying to help them get better with LabVIEW. And that means both becoming more proficient with the software tool itself, but probably even more so adopting best practices, implementing better processes for software engineering. So that at the end of the day, the goal is that our customers are uh, self-sufficient in a way. So not depending on anybody else to get their daily work done, but still bringing us in for maybe new technologies, maybe when, when they are uh, spread thin and, and have more work to do than they can do. So this is, this is where we've been focusing for the last few years, I guess. Um, that's our, the main part of our work. And uh, the second kind of type of projects that we do is delivering systems. So we have one partner who is building special machinery. And that partner um, often needs, yeah, maybe uh, um, software to connect to the outer world of his production lines, like connecting to the customer's database, to their ERP systems, or doing some some kind of, of um, elaborate job preparing before data is sent to the actual production line. Or if they really have uh, measurement and control needs, um, of course, the NI technology comes in again at this place. And the difference, um, why I'm highlighting that is uh, the difference is they don't use LabVIEW themselves. So what they get from us is a piece of software or a system, um, which is usually not our business, but we are, we are connected very closely with that company. So again, it's a team effort, getting the whole production line up and running. So from that point of view, from, from how we're working together, it's uh, very similar again to our other, that I call COE type customers. COE being the abbreviation for center of excellence for that, I think program is maybe a good word for that, a program that NI started a few years ago to look into how customers of NI are using the NI technology, uh, mostly software, but obviously also hardware to get their projects done. And then I is helping those customers again become more proficient. And uh, if you if you tick all the right boxes, you are awarded the Center of Excellence um, certificate certification. So and I does audit you to make sure that that you are adhering to all these processes. And I'm very proud and happy to say that we're the first German Center of Excellence uh, wherein I audited us, uh, especially for our work with our customers. So looking into how we work with customers, not so much by ourselves because we're a very small team, but again, as I said, especially for our work with customers. And this is something that we will pursue in the future too, um, trying to kind of join forces with an eye here in Germany, as well as probably all over the EMEA um, area to, to help our mutual customers be more successful. Right, and so with the center of excellence, how challenging was it to achieve that? And that's interesting How much work because was it? <laughs> it was um, not challenging at all and very challenging at the same time. And it was no work at all. And there a lot of work at the same time. And I, <laughs> I'm saying that because uh, it took us, I think, oh, the first time I heard of the Center of Excellence program was maybe four years ago, I think, at one of the CLA summits where Nancy Hansen 
presented on that thing. And I was immediately intrigued by that um, mm. because uh, it, it resonated with me a lot because uh, she, she mentioned all the buzzwords that I deemed important back then and now even more so. And during those last four years, uh, we've been growing into that role too, where we um, apply those processes ourselves, where we help our customers um, improve their processes or implement new processes. Right. Uh, so doing this organically, right? You were sort of already exactly. Yeah. So it has been uh, it has been part of our daily journey of our daily work with our customers to do just that. Because at the end of the day, if they okay. If, if, if we can work together in a very efficient and effective way, um, it's a win-win situation. I mean, that's kind of um, common sense, right? And that's where the COE comes in, in my book. Um, so we, we were trying to look into all those things and processes that made sense for us and our small customer teams. And so at the end of the day, um, it, was not, it wasn't a question of doing something for COE. The only thing that it was actual work was creating the documentation for that process and going through the checklists and looking at that together. But uh, um, luckily, we could just say, yes, we do that. Here's the example. Yes, we do that. Here's the template. Yes, we do that. Here's yeah. the whatever it is that we need. So that's what, what I meant when I said no work and a lot of work at all. So no work specifically for the COE certification. But of course, it was a learning curve for us to to get to the point where we could say, "Okay, we do that, and we are exactly we are yeah. proficient in that." Okay, so uh, Jörg, why don't we um, introduce uh, your team and and find out a bit about them? Let's start with Manu. Tell us a bit about you and and your LabVIEW and DQMH journey. Uh, yes, Chris. Um, my name is Manuel Sebald. I have a background as a process, process or a chemical engineer. After that, I came, came to Humplesoft, Farm Software um, about three years ago. And um, at this time, I started with LabVIEW. So um, I was, uh, yeah, let's say, a newbie. <laughs> But uh, I, I learned really fast and it was really fun. And Really early, when I came to Humplesoft, we started with DQMH with our first projects. So this was also my first real framework to work with. Okay. So you did you learned both at the same time, effectively, or was there a bit I of had, a, I had a, um, I started with LabVIEW in my former job. Oh, okay. And yeah. had some NI training. So I had a little bit background. I know the basics. So the online courses and so on, but not the, the practice and all the tricks and decomage and um, the teamwork and anything. This was new for me. So uh, Jürg often um, is quoted as saying that DQMH is his hammer. Uh, would you would you agree with that? Do you sort of see that you know you can use DQMH everywhere, or you know, or do you yes, like totally. to mix it up? Or are you allowed to mix it up? Maybe you're not allowed to. <laughs> As if yeah, I, I guess, had a say in that. <laughs> I guess Jörg pushed me to use it for everything. I think it's 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 a very versatile tool. You can you can use it for almost everything. Sure, there are corner cases, um, other approaches, uh, maybe trust a lib or um, uh, trust an, an object is better suited for it. But in, um, I think in general, for for a project, it's it's perfect. You can use it. I have never seen a use case uh, in the past years um, where it has not fit. Let's hear from Bensa. Bensa, welcome. Okay, so hi, I'm Bensa, and I'm originally from Hungary, but I'm actually studying here in Germany right now, and I work part-time alongside university at Hampo Software. Um, and I've been here for just about just shy of two years now, um, and I mainly work on internal tools, internal projects, a bit of sysadmin stuff, uh, documentation, DevOps, uh, but I also do work with LabVIEW. Um, I had a minimal uh, background with LabVIEW before this job, uh, but now I'm steadily learning. With DQMH itself, I 
barely have any experience, so I haven't properly used it yet, but I have started um, learning because it is a tool we use quite often. So I think my experiences might be interesting in, in upcoming questions. I certainly want to hear about how you're going about learning it, um, and we'll come to that in a, in a little while. But thank you for that, Benson. So let's talk about your customers. What are typical problems that your customers face, and how does DQMH help? So I think that um, most of our customers initially approach us uh, because they have work to be done, obviously. There's something they need done or they need help with, something specific probably, and that's why they go looking for help, um, why they're looking to bring in external partners. We're a small company, so we don't get new customers every day, obviously. There's only so much hours. There are only so many hours in the day, right? So we have a small group of customers, uh, long-term customers, and that group is slowly growing. So we're, we're trying to slowly grow it organically, as you said. And then when new customers approach us, um, we introduce them to the way that we work. So uh, we will explain to them, um, listen, we are not your usual um, external software supplier. Um, we don't do that kind of work, actually. Um, we want to work together with you, uh, work on your projects together, sitting shoulder by shoulder and trying to show you how to do it yourself. So uh, kind of the Montessori if you've heard of that, help me do it by myself is, I think, maybe that's the English translation of that. Uh, and that's, that's basically what we want to do for and with our customers. So customers who are interested in, or first of all, customers who, who do software development themselves, uh, right. no matter the level, yep. but customers who are interested yep. in creating software themselves, that's the first, I think that's the hard stop. If a customer does not do software development by himself, our model okay. won't work. Yeah. Uh, and are you uh, typically introducing DQMH to them or or do they already know about it? We've had both, but I think probably we'll, we'll advocate for it uh, strongly. So the first thing that we'll do, so if a customer um, agrees to, to enter into a collaboration of that kind, the first thing that we, that we uh, suggest to do is a two-day workshop. Uh, we call it a workshop, but the first day would be us introducing all of the things that we do in our uh, daily lives as software developers. So we will introduce the concepts that the concepts that also the Center of Excellence catalog brings with it. So we will talk about source code control. We will talk about libraries and templates and all of these things, um, code reviews, requirements, even maybe continuous integration. And also introduce DQMH as the framework that we use, as the library that we use um, together with our extensions and add-ons that we built. So we yes. will show the customer how that looks, what, what that looks like if we, if we use these tools to do something. And the second day, we'll be looking at the projects of the customer and then finding out where they're standing and what they need and how we can help. And for the last two times that we did that, the first, one of the first steps was introducing DQMH and migrating maybe one module or a very simple application to yeah, to tip out or to tip the customer's toes into the DQMH waters, and then uh, find out if it's a fit for him or her. So, yes, um, DQMH will always be a topic. Um, we have one customer actually who who has been developing their own framework over the years, so they don't have a need or, or wouldn't make sense to change that. Right. But that's the only customer we have who is not today using DQMH, actually. Yeah, I'll, that was my next question. our favorite customer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yes, but uh, if they're not using it. Um, well, I, that was going to be my next question. Who Do, do people say, no, I, I, that's, I don't want to use that, but it sounds like you've got a good, good introduction that, that they can see the benefits? Well, I mean, either I'm very good at sales or DQMH is a good tool, the audience can choose. But I think it's a bit of both because we have been working for with it for a little bit more than three years now on a daily basis. So we actually know why and where we benefit. We also know what doesn't work so well. And I think if you can make that case, 
that's a very good case because uh, it, it mitigates a lot of risks for the customer because we won't run into any unforeseen situations probably, at least DQMH related now. Um, the project itself, we, we can never know that, of course. Yeah. And uh, it's hard. I think it's hard to compete with that, with a framework that's so mature and a, uh, a consultancy that really has the, the real-life experience, that has the battlefield experience and the scars, the scar tissue to prove it. So yeah, it's an easy sell. If, if you want to call it a sell, I would say it's an easy sell because it's just, it has so many, in, in my book, it has so many advantages that um, why wouldn't you use it? It's just one, one point uh, to this. I think it's, it makes um, it really easy for the customer to, to try it, to use it, because he can start with just uh, maybe one module and uh, maybe integrate it in the, um, in the, so in her, in the software. And it's not needed to, to change the whole software, the whole framework or something. So the yes. step is very small for the customer to start with DQMH. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. You you can have you can bring DQMH to an existing application, and it doesn't, you know, throw out the application. You know, you, yes. the existing architecture can still work with a DQMH module or two. Um, I've I've had the opportunity to do that on some old code, yeah, pre um, DQMH, and um, it works fine. And I think the other thing as well is that you can. And this really hit home to me when, when I was preparing the VI Week presentation a few months ago. That y your application can be just one DQMH module if that's all it needs, one DQMH module to do everything you need. Because even if you just do that, you're starting with a whole lot of advanced and and well thought out and well tested code, so you can get on with the business logic. And you can rely on the on the structure of the of the, the the modules, and I think that's a that's a huge benefit, especially if you're new to it. Yeah, that's right. It's it's a really easy and fast way to get uh, maybe your first prototype or trust a little tool or something. It's just fast. Just thinking about the the, the one customer that already have their framework. I'm just curious to to hear your experiences about working with the other application where you're using another framework versus using a DQMH and whether there's any interesting differences, good or bad. So before we, before we before I migrated to DQMH, I've been developing my own framework together with a colleague for quite a few years. And that one was built on queues and strings for the module name, the module parameters, the command name, so everything was string-based. And that made it very flexible and very versatile. Uh, but at the same time, it needed so much documentation. So coming from that framework, the difference uh, was enormous in what we gained by adopting EQMH. I mean, fair enough, calling things dynamically is a, a, a huge pain, I'd say if you don't know upfront the data type of, of whatever you want to call. Mm. That makes things very complicated. Uh, maybe we can talk later about that too. But for, for the the kind of work that we do right now, uh, DQMH is so much better suited. You create your public API as you go. It's yes. a collection of VIs with a fixed connector pattern with uh, hopefully already VI documentation filled in. So there are so many things that, that that just uh, are offered to you and built along the way that by the time that you are finished with the module, probably you already have most of the things you need to, to hand it over to your colleague because DKMH just helps you with that and advocates that and maybe sometimes enforces that, right? And we didn't have that at all with the old framework. So that, that was a huge advantage. And now yeah. for the one customer who, who has his, or who have their own framework, which is also built on a queued message handler template, I think they miss out on all the scripting, obviously, that DQMH offers. Mm. Not so much about the, the technical, like uh, software design or architecture features, but much more about the the tool chain and the, 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 the I think the way of working that that brings with it. Yeah, so, the testers and yeah, yeah, Manu, what's your point? Yeah, it's. Um 
this other framework is also from, from our other customer is also um, has a string based interface. So you have to write um, the name of the module you want to call as a string and you have to convert the data you want to to transfer as a string or to a string. That makes it more complicated or you, it's, it's easier to make errors. Mm. And you don't have this straight interfaces like in TQM8 mm. where you have your uh, request UI or broadcast UI which is this interface and has a, a strong typed API. With this other framework, it's it's easier to get to get confused <laughs> over all this communication between the modules. Yeah. Uh, and in contrast to this, in DCOMH, it's really easy to see the communication, which requests go from which module to which. That's easier, it's better. You can even document that automatically, right? Yeah, nowadays. this is possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I'm imagining, I guess, that as well, if you're um, if you're in like your main application module in this other framework you're talking about, that there's a lot of string uh, manipulation going on to send the message to that module or receive a message back from this module. And um, I can picture that might clutter up the block diagram a bit. Whereas uh, one of the things I love about DQMH is that you can just call, you know, your public API VI for a given module and you just and it's very explicit in what it's going to do um, you can make it a bit more generic if you wanted to pass a string down but uh, I like to make it very specific because then the code just reads so much cleaner and nicer what what sort of applications do you think DQMH is best suited for well if you ask me I think it's suited for uh, most applications that you will come across. I think LabVIEW itself is not very good for creating services in Windows, for example. That's just not something that was that it was built to do. That's not DQMH's fault. Mm -hmm. um, for us, DQMH works both on Windows uh, as well in, on Windows as it does on our real-time uh, projects. Most of our projects involve real-time, actually, and uh, many of them also have PGA. And we've had good experiences with using DQMH. Uh, all the versions um, suffered from a, a bug in LabVIEW that we had to work around. But since the release of DQMH 5, uh, that has been fixed uh, by yeah, doing stuff in a different way. Um, so there's no, need to, there's no need for a workaround anymore. Uh, DQMH also now creates the uh, real-time API testers as well, uh, which is a very nice thing. So I think DQMH works um, especially for those applications where uh, more than one person is working on them. So I mm. think it's not so much yes. a question about what the application does, but how people, uh, how the, the person or the team that creates the application is, is set up. And I think uh, that's, again, from, from my point of view, that's the, the, the biggest advantage of DQMH. Oh, yeah. It I, helps teams so much um, work in parallel, uh, adopt uh, the mindset of this modular uh, encapsulated way of working, these things. So I think it's not so important what the application itself does at the end of the day, because many applications will be similar. Uh, if you reach a certain like, size or complexity, it will, be, it will consist of, of multiple modules. They probably are running in parallel in some way and, and have the needs to communicate. And no matter if it's a measurement application or if it's some database tool or if it's a control application running on real time, the, the basic requirements for having separate modules that run in parallel and communicate with each other are there most of the times. And that's what DQMH can do, right? Yes. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned you know the workaround that you've done for real time obviously uh myself and my team at wired in we've been using your workaround and it was just today that i'm updating my real-time project oh, template okay. and i was undoing the workaround because uh, we, we don't need it anymore in dqmh5 so it served us well but we now just go back to using the native which is really good 
Manu, can you give us an example of an application where you just think, oh, DQMH, it's just proved itself here, or you've you've it's it's given you an experience. We just go, oh, I'm just so glad this feature is here. Otherwise, I, if if I didn't have it, I would have been stuck. <laughs> that, or you just um, think, no, that's just how it is all the that's, time. <laughs> that's yes, it's. Um, <laughs> I think that's. For all our for all of our projects, um, I'm happy to work with DQMH. It it makes easier to if I think okay here I need a new uh, feature, new module for my program. I just uh, go on the menu and uh, select new DQMH uh, module, and this uh, this this creative automation makes it so fast. Absolutely, yeah. I can't can't imagine. A program or project where it's not useful. We did have. I, I do have an example. Uh, yes. Um, if you think about the the work we did with Siemens, Siemens, I think uh, we can say that is our most is one of our most important customers at the moment, and we've been working with them for a long time now, very very closely. So on a, a weekly, sometimes daily basis for the last four years. And we have this application that we've been working on for years now, and it has uh, it needs a database for both uh, configuration data, setup data, but also test results data. And uh, when we started out, we had a DQMH module uh, for database communication, and the other modules shared that single module. Mm-hmm. But then we figured out we can't do without transactions. So a database transaction is when you can start a series of steps um, manipulating the database. And after all of those steps uh, have succeeded, you can say, okay, now I'm, I'm, I'm sure all of those were good. Now we stop, uh, we finalize the transaction and only then is everything written to the database. So you can imagine if you need to create a new uh, like a new contact in your address book. You want to create a contact, then you might have a telephone number and an email address. And only if all of these information have gone to your database, you want to say, okay, now I want to create a contact. If something, of, if any of those fails, you need to discard everything and start from fresh. So that's what a database transaction does. Okay. And obviously, if we're sharing a single connection, that won't work because uh, many modules need to have separate transactions in parallel. So DQMH to the rescue, uh, of course, it was simple enough to create a, uh, a clonable module and just have uh-huh. all of the other modules uh, instantiate a new clone for when they need a database. Um, a different database or s- still talking to the same one database? The very same one. So they share the same yeah. configuration data. It's just that they open a separate connection. So we will have multiple connections yeah. to the same database, which is perfectly valid, uh, seeing as a database is kind of depending on the database, but this database we're using is a server. So it's a MySQL database. I was just about to ask, what what database? MySQL, okay. mm -hmm. Sorry, continue, yep. Yeah, so we didn't have to change a lot because all of the VIs and the calls and everything was already there. The only difference was that we had to add the modular ID, fair enough, but uh, other than that, the, the whole architecture and the design of the application did not change. So I think that was, I mean, obviously, people not using DQMH can do that as well, no question asked, but uh, for us, it was a very quick change because most of the things were already there and in place. Right, yeah, so you just and just converted it to a clonable and away you go. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I guess that's a good example of where you, you know, you probably saved yourself a fair bit of rework, right? Definitely, yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's move now to talk about how one goes about learning DQMH. And I'd like to hear from Benza about his experiences about learning DQMH and maybe um, shed some light on what his approach is there or, and, and, or what the Hamplesoft learning approach is for DQMH. Well, like I mentioned, I only have a very cursory experience with D- DQMH yet, but I'm, I'm still learning. So, of course, my, my first go-to resource uh, was the official documentation on Delacour.com. Uh, uh, and they have a, a, a quite a, a very detailed guide uh, with a lot of pages and a lot of sections. And they even have a page called um, How to Learn DQMH, which basically suggests some 
workflows to actually learning DKMH, uh, whether that be just through plain uh, learning or or just or, or using an actual sample application or creating your own application and, and learning by doing, which I find is is the most um, beneficial to actually grasping all the intricacies of DQMH. And their guides, as I said, are quite detailed, but they're also uh, a huge amount of information to just absorb. So you really need to put in the energy to actually understand it. And you can't just read it. You have to use it. You have to understand it. You have to see how everything belongs together. Uh, But before all that, you need to understand all the terminology and all the background stuff working behind. So if you don't know what a queue is or, or all these kinds of data structures, then you first need to go and understand that you have the necessary knowledge to even start learning it. And they also have a set of videos uh, that are, are, are also quite detailed and quite useful, but they're also huge, uh, half, half an hour, an hour long videos that are, are, are not simple to get through. So um, so you have to have the motivation to, to actually study it, I think. So it could present a bit of a high learning curve or even a block if someone just wants to jump in so they need to have some motivation behind it. And of course, we have a lot of internal documents, uh, internal, we have our own wiki system where we collect information. Uh, I think I, I, this is this might be some kind of compulsive German documenting, but it's very, very useful, uh, I find. And uh, there we have um, uh, our own best practices, our own workflows, how we use this in customer projects. So I have real, I can gain real life experience just by reading these. So as you just sort of said there, you, you went from the DQM, the Delacour DQMH learning, then you went to the Hamplesoft. Uh, we have a similar, I guess, challenge where, where we are at, in, here at Wired In. You, yes, you can learn DQMH, but then I want people to learn how we've massaged it and used utilised it in our projects because there's a few additional little rules or guidelines that we've you know from our own experiences we've we'd like we like to apply so uh, it sounds like you've got that fairly well documented yes it's um and you're just going through that it's insanely useful so i would recommend definitely doing that just document everything Uh, that also is a general rule that helps (laughs) yeah I, i think it is a pretty easy tool to get started on pretty quickly but there's a lot of little subtle things that takes a while to soak up uh, what, yes, I think so. Too. F- oh, sorry. So, so what I <laughs> Keep going. think yeah. would be useful was uh, would be like an actual NI style course, or maybe a, a course from NI. Um, in the core three and the advanced architecture courses, they do mention a bit of um, queued message handling, but not very DQMH specific. Yes. And they offer, uh, they even offer a badge. So NI offers a badge for DQMH certification, but there's no actual yeah. dedicated course behind it, which I think would be very useful to a lot of people. I want to add a few things to, to all of that, actually. Um, the first thing being that onboarding team members for Hample Software is not very high on our priority list because we don't have a lot of fluctuation here. Uh, team is growing organically, as you said before. But uh, at our customers, uh, that happens much more often that we need to onboard mm. new team members. So we do have the need for bringing like, new team members up to speed. And that's why we, like Denzel said, that's why we have started to write things down um, that we deem important. That also comes from our first experiences with subcontracting. Um, if you don't let people know what you expect, um, how can they deliver it in a way that you, yeah. that you want it? So it's imperative that you write down the style guides, for example, or the way of working so other people can look at that and say, okay, usually I, I don't know, usually I create yellow BI icons, but uh, Hamplesoft is all purple, so that's what I'm going to do for them. And uh, like these sorts of things, of course. And for a, uh, and this comes from the real life again. So we're not sitting down and thinking, okay, how could I waste five, four hours a day writing something down? But it's the other way around. When somebody asks a question or when we run into a problem, we say, okay, instead of writing an email, I'm going to write it into the doku wiki and point people to that so that it grows yeah. step by step from, from the things that we encounter in our real life. And that works very well, I think. And the other thing that I wanted to say is, even though an I doesn't offer a DQMH course, uh, we as trusted advisors especially are happy to be able to tap into the Delacore resource, right? And there is an official Delacore DQMH training course which usually goes a few days 
And I have given that a few months back when we started work with a new customer of ours. Um, it was right after the, the COVID lockdowns and stuff happened. So we were planning on giving it on site a three day course, but then we had to change that like in within a week to a two day virtual course. And thanks to the, the good materials and thanks to Fab's help, um, that worked out very well for our customers. So what we did was we, we boiled it down to a two-day event. It was two days online, which was a bit much, to be honest. So looking back, I would spread it to four half days from today's yeah. point of view. And the other thing that we did, which was really appreciated by our customer, was we, we uh, swapped the the generic examples of the DKMH, of the Delaco DKMH training with um, actual work packages or modules from the customer. So the examples that we built throughout the DKMH course was already a customer project. Yes. So they immediately found themselves at home in, in the examples and they immediately understood uh, what it was about. And we managed to create a server client application talking from Windows to real time within two days alongside the course. So it went really, really well. So for all the people out there um, looking for DKMH training, uh, go ask Delacor or the DKMH trusted advisors because we can do that, all of us. I was to talked to Sam Taggart in one of the earlier episodes and he was saying similar things and um, he's actually yeah, looking at expanding things to an online course. He's considering that in the future and that's something I've certainly suggested to Fab, but yeah, th there needs to be enough demand to, to do that. But Certainly online and through a trusted advisor or Delacor is is the way to go to get the full experience. So tell me a bit about how Hamplesoft is taking DQMH and extending it. And what I mean by that, Jürg, I know you've got a number of templates and modules that are available open source. So I'd like to hear a bit about how you're extending DQMH. Yeah, I'm happy you asked that question, Chris. <laughs> I always like to talk about our open source uh, projects. So let me start off by saying that we're big believers in inner source, uh, a term that has been coined um, a few years back uh, by Tim O'Reilly, actually. And uh, what it means is that you're taking open source tools and open source project uh, um, processes and try to apply them to your corporate environment. So the open source mindset, uh, but inside your company, right, in a corporal context. And that's what we do basically with our customers, because um, many of the things that the open source world is built on make sense for like commercial projects as well. Workflows, way of working, um, source code control, management tools, and so on, and so on, and so on. So the list is very long. And that's what we try to do. And uh, we decided that by um, opening up our own source code to the public and by sharing it for free and then trying to get people on board and collaborating, uh, that's the only way for us to really understand how that works and then to really like convey that, that knowledge and that mindset to our customers uh, and, and try to make our collaboration even better. And that, that's, that's why we started looking into sharing our source code. And um, what we're sharing is, uh, I think, most of our like, basic structures and libraries and templates. And some of the, you have the drivers or, or little helpful communication libraries that we created. Now, for um, in the context of DQMH, I think there is two two interesting things that we that we share. Uh, one is our Windows application template, which is if we want uh, like a an empty project or application shell that we that okay. we manage on the side and that we start off our our new projects of. Um, and the other the other one is the um, the generic networking module or modules, which allows for a um, like nearly zero coupling network communication between modules. Yeah. When, where can one find these? Jürg? are they readily available? Where, where yes. would you go to? So the first place to look for them is code.temple-soft.com. So that's like a landing page for all the things, for most of the things that we share. Uh, they were all hosted on GitLab, our um, source code management tool that we love. Um, and you can also find information about our information on those things in our DocuWiki, where we try to 
describe all the things that you need to know in order to use them. So code.temple-stuff.com would be the place to go first. And we've been making some progress recently with our Windows application template to make it more reusable. Um, one of our customers actually contributed a small tool that makes it easier to download the, like the generic, the vanilla source code, and then rename it to your own project name. Uh, there are some steps involved with that which are not trivial or not easily understood if you're not familiar with the source code. So that makes it much easier. And what it does is it's basically a Excellent. container or an empty shell for, for your project. So it comes with the user interface. It comes with um, functionality to load modules dynamically from a configuration list so that mm. you can replace them on a project on a per project basis very easily. It comes with our own libraries that allow for in, uh, inter-module communication in a generic way and like functions or features for configuring the runtime menu. There's an event viewer module that shows you all the events. It also comes with our own logger, which we're very happy to have. Um, I think Manu can say a few words about the logger, maybe. Um, yes, that's uh, one of our few uh, projects that is not QMH. It's just an, uh, a library. And it's um, internal logging, logging uh, messages, infos, uh, errors, etc. Is a very important uh, thing for in, in every program, I guess. And this our logger, our um, HSE logger, is inspired by the Python logging um, module. Oh, okay. And this makes it very flexible. It's uh, object oriented, and um, this makes it possible to um, log to a file, to log to two files. Um, to log to an event structure, to log into a database, or um, everything you can imagine. Um, you could program an, uh, an object, object for it, a handler. And what's what are we trying to log here? We just, like, is this, so the purpose being what, for uh, debugging uh, or, well, or? For debugging and for information. So, so the I logger, think what just a, a quick yeah. mention um, what we what we are doing is uh, what we call or what might be called a DDD in the future so debug driven development so I think what we do you just coined a new term is, have you well it's Steve Watts and I together maybe uh, oh, okay. I remember <laughs> who came up with the term but it, it's a thing actually so um, quick quick uh, side step uh, you know that we've been having this thing going on called dsh workshops collaboration between uh fabiola i've heard of that steve, steve watts brian powell and, and myself where we where we try to um look into the pragmatic side of software development we've been given a few workshops and we want to we want to do more of that kind of work as soon as the COVID situation allows that it's been put to a halt uh, because of that Uh, but uh, there's a lot of um, discussions uh, going on behind the scenes, a lot of um, looking at how to design software, comparing our experiences and stuff like that. And one of those things was talking about the test-driven development, test-driven design. And, and uh, we were thinking about, well, those of us who don't do so much unit testing, we still do tests, right? And we still want to know that things work, but in a different way. So we came up with the term of debug-driven development where we say, The first thing that we need to know is what is happening. So before we do anything else, we're not writing a unit test in our case, but we're making sure that the output is there from the very beginning. So that's what the logger does. Uh, right. from, the, from the very first wire on our main application, if you want to put it like that, we will have line after line after line in a system, system log uh, kind style of, of, of log file or database or um, yes. control on a user interface, whatever the log handler may be. So that's what the logger is, is, is there for, and that's what it helps with. And um, it replaces part of the DQMH broadcast logging features, if you want, because we already have that other tool for that. So I think, yes. um, Manu, you can elaborate on, on, on where we draw the line between the debug logging and the system broadcast application-specific kind of thing. Um, so that is hard to, to draw a... a a hard line for this. But we use the logger for everything or on, on, on every um, place in the code where we want to know something. 
maybe um, I write uh, a uh, some data in a file and I can set a log entry when I open the file and one log entry when I close the file with the file name in it. And so after I, um, I run my program, I can see, okay, here, and in this time, this file was opened and maybe 10 seconds later, the file was closed. This is very helpful to debug the program in first place. And um, when the program is in production, um, we have, um, Jörg mentioned it, we have um, our programs in, in big machines. They are running 24-7 somewhere. And maybe something happens, some error from the machine, from our program. And the log that files help. Happen. Sorry? That would never happen. <laughs> we hope not because because <laughs> because other parts of the machine fail oh okay all right yeah sorry keep keep going yes <laughs> <laughs> um yes if something happens these log files are very very helpful to um to debug it and to see oh it was the customer's uh, fault and not uh, our software <laughs> <laughs> hopefully operator error <laughs> Um, yeah, that sounds very useful. We we do a similar thing at Wired In. It, it, it's evidence that the the system's working as it should too, isn't it? It's yes. like a it's a way to demonstrate that you, the things are working correctly. And and the nice thing with uh, our logger is, it's not just we log it to a file. We also can log it um, or display the log messages, for example, on a window. So to see it direct on the program, and yeah. excellent, yep. So the, the thing very, that I wanted to tool. yeah, the one thing that I wanted Indeed. to put into your mouth, Manu, was the logger is uh, there for debugging purposes. So anything that qualifies for the term debugging will be covered by our logger, uh, as opposed to anything that is part of the application logic will then be a broadcast or something that DQMH mm. comes with that in its in its um, original and vanilla form would be used for debugging as well because if you look at the status and the error broadcasts probably most of the time you don't use those for actually triggering a, a, a function of the application but rather for maybe displaying the status or or maybe informing the user that something happened that went wrong so this is this is what i meant when i said that we draw the line so anything that interests us in terms of is the application running as it should that goes into the logger and anything that should that is business logic or application logic will be a broadcast and probably a specifically created one. So we don't really use the status and the error broadcasts a lot because they, they, they fell through in the middle somehow. So it's either the logger or it's a specific broadcast or, or a message or whatever. Okay. So yeah. yeah. That's that's a good definition, I think. I think I never thought yeah. about it in this way. <laughs> And this, this HSC logger is also freely downloadable for, for yes, people to can, use and try. Um, you download it from GitLab. It's open source. It has a basic set of log handlers um, shipped with it. So you can log to, to a file and to event structures with it. And you can easily program your own handlers to log to other targets. Or you can ask um, us to um, make this for you. <laughs> and we have a few of them already ready-made. Right. Uh, that 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 we that are like commercial offerings. Um, for yeah. example, for long-running uh, machinery programs, um, we have a lock rotate mechanism. So to prevent to um, to to uh, overflow the hard disk with log files. <laughs> Right. So, how are you handling that? Sorry, you're you, you've got a. It's checking for a disk size. It has limit. Um, we can check for um, for log file size. So, for example, you can say the uh, log file maximum log file size is, for example, ten megabytes. And after this okay. ten megabytes, it starts a new file. 
Or you can make it time dependent. So you can say um, start mm -hmm. a new log file every day or every week or every month. Um, what what you need? Yeah, and on on a real time platform, that becomes pretty critical because yes. the compact Rios, for instance, the the disk space on there is pretty small unless you've inserted an, an additional SD card or or attached a an another hard drive. That's really good, guys, and I, I, I like the sound of the HSC logger. It sounds flexible and it sounds quite powerful, and, and the debug-driven development, that's a term I've not heard before, but I, I like the concept. Do you see anything that you know we, we still need to improve with DQMH? I think in general, um, Benzer has already said that, um, even though he wasn't aware of that, but you need a basic understanding of, of what it's doing. Yeah. And... Uh, when you open up the DKMH module for the first time, you're overwhelmed with all the boilerplate code that you see because you see the whole framework on the block diagram. So I think this is one thing that is that is intimidating to new users. So you create the first module, you open up the main VI, and there's so much going on on the block diagram. And uh, you're not maybe you're not understanding yet that you don't need to care about all of that because it's scripted. I can definitely. So there are only very few. Yeah. yeah. So there are right. only very few places where you actually need to focus your energy when it's starting out. Way later on, maybe you want to look into, I don't know, overloading the message queue or something like that, which can have its use case. Um, but that when you're starting out, um, I think that is that is hard to, or that, that, that may be a feeling that people have when they look at the DKMH models for the first time. That's what we've heard too from our customers. Oh my God, so much code. Um, yeah, yeah, that's one thing. Um, I'm not sure that this is something that needs to be addressed. Uh, probably it can be, but uh, definitely uh, from what we know, there is no focus on, on changing that anytime soon. Um, and again, I think it doesn't need to be changed, but that's one thing that we've heard a lot when we started out with new people. Yeah, uh, it's not not so much an issue. It's more that you know, if you want to, if you want to go to that next level where you you. you but, you know, in a previous state, you're just working within sub-VIs and each time you're opening up your own blank canvas and then suddenly being confronted with all this code, you've just got to get familiar with that code and to allow yourself to get up to that level. It's just going to take some time to familiarize with it and know what to look for. Once, once that um, platform is familiar, then you, you almost ignore it, right? You don't, when you open it up, you don't, see all that code you just go now i need to go to the message handling loop and change this case so you you just get used to it um so i don't think it's an issue it's just a learning step yeah exactly. and in, um i think it's or well, in my case um it it it, um, it helped me to understand the tqmh in the beginning when i learned it because um it's not just uh, some sub vi which is doing something. Um, we in, in one module, we see the whole structure and the whole um, cute message handler structure. And that makes it easier to understand the um, basic principles of um, how it's working. Mm. So maybe it's um, more, uh, more pro than a con. <laughs> <laughs> so if, talking from my own experience, one of the things that we jumped in and perhaps um, didn't realize we should be doing early on. And, and, and it's a habit that's sort of, we're just trying to undo now is using the queued message handler as a state machine where um, we were in a state and then we're generating further states from that state. And, um, you know, over the last six months, especially with convers in conversations with Fabiola, we're realizing that's not the best way to do it. We might be queuing up more than one state, um, you know, and um, and that that works okay when everything works right. But if something suddenly goes wrong, then you lose control. So that's one thing that we learned the wrong way to do. But, um, you know... That's just that's the same with anything when you're learning how to use things. You t see where the boundaries are. I but think yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah, you're uh, 
Sam Taggart wrote a very nice, uh, I think it was a blog post in the Delacour blog about the do's and don'ts of DKMH. And yes. I think he addresses um, all of the most important parts and like this self enqueuing of states in the message channel loop, I think is one of the things that he talks about. It is, yes. Um, and and that was a very good article, that one. And I, I actually spoke to Sam about that in the previous episode a little bit. So, yeah. The other thing Sorry, that I want to um, advertise is our article about um, helper loops. I think from my point of view, that is the most important concept for for extending the image modules. So many, if not all of our modules have a helper loop actually, because they need to do something. Yeah. Or most, not, not all of them, but many of them do have a, a, a helper loop. And that again comes with its own set of caveats maybe. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense for, for new players to, to have a good look at that documentation that's already out there, as we said and look into mm -hmm. those things that come from the from the real life also so you need the basic understanding and then probably you can read up on things that other people already uh, experienced like again as i said where other people already felt the pain uh, you can take them the shortcut and, and just do it in the right way from the very beginning um, yes but that's easy for us probably um, because we have these ongoing um, collaborations uh, with our customers so that when new people join the teams, either on our side or on theirs, there's already code. There are already people who are familiar. So it's way easier to learn on the job while you're doing stuff. So you will sit down and you will start creating the module from the first day of work, basically, or the second week or whatever. Yeah. And it's, 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 I think in comparison, it's very easy to, to ease into that thing that's already there. Yes. Um, that, that, that's, that having that that platform to, to leverage would be a huge benefit. Um, well, guys, we need to wrap things up. Uh, I'll just finish by saying or just asking whether you've got any thoughts about where next for DQMH and, and your journey with DQMH. So I can say that one thing that we will expand on is uh, doing more with DQMH in our continuous integration chain so we have our own tools as you know uh, which we call the release automation tools uh, that leverage the GitLab CI system to to run things automatically on the server side um, from the testing and validating over documentation to building this uh, build specification and then deploying that somewhere and DQMH is becoming more and more part of that so obviously with Vovalab's fantastic anti-doc toolkit uh, we've been using that from, from day one. Um, some of the things that we program for our own tool chain now are already in the, in the product itself. So creating documentation from the DQMH source code is a very important thing for us and for our customers. And that's executing that on the server side automatically. Uh, so that is, that is, that this is something that we will keep looking into. We also have our own tools for documenting our own state machines, uh, which adds mm. to that what Olivier and Vovel have already built. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is validating DQMH modules automatically. So for those people familiar with DQMH, um, there's a validation tool that checks on your modules to make sure that they're still adhering to whatever the rule set is that makes it a DQMH module. We can execute that now on the server side. I think that would be interesting to have that uh, be a bit more flexible than it is right now. Um, so that's one thing that my personal focus is on. And the other thing I guess um, the guys will agree is keep working on our from source projects, making them more round, more fine-tuned, more honed. Manu, what yes. do you say? Uh, how did, is it called? Uh, the network extension? Generic the, networking modules. Generic networking modules could be one of our next projects to, to improve it and to make it more flexible, maybe, or easier to use. Yeah. So they, can, they, they need some love. Definitely. Make it easier to use and... Um, make it um, better doc documented. Well, if you, if you guys wouldn't mind just doing that in the next week or so, because we're about to start a project where well, I was considering using that, Jörg, so um, <laughs> I, I wanna, if you could, <laughs> I wanna if you could get quote, that I want to quote the great Fab on this and say, well, you can write your feature request on the backside of a 100 euro bill <laughs> and then send a few of them <laughs> and see how that works for you. <laughs> She says 100 US dollars, though, not 100 euro. I will be in Europe. <laughs> what can I do? 
All right, guys. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Um, great to hear about how Hamplesoft is using DQMH and working with their customers in general. It's been a, a good pleasure to, to, to hear from you and thank you for being on the show. Thank, thank you, you so much, Chris. Chris, for having us. It was um, fun to be in the podcast. 